Bill, I don't know if you know it, but the boardroom's on mute. Okay, sorry. Welcome, everybody. This is the um, 2027, uh, tw uh, the February 27th, 2023, Castro Valley Municipal Advisory Council meeting. It is a live meeting, uh, in person meeting, as well as in uh, Zoom. So you can join over the internet, um, as well as by phone and in person. Um, so I have a couple of announcements to make. Uh, first thing is the, the, the state's uh, emergency order uh, regarding COVID is still in effect as of today. Tomorrow is the last day and it will uh, not be continued. So uh, as of today, we do ask people to please wear your masks while indoors at uh, community uh, at county buildings. So, so thank you for those wearing masks. If you uh, would uh, like a mask, they are over in the back of the room. Thank you so much. Uh, for those of you who want to speak on any item, there are green speaker cards in the back of the room. And if you could please uh, write on the speaker cards your uh, name, your uh, address, and what item you're speaking for. So uh, if you're item number one, um, two, three, et cetera, there is a separate um, open forum that we will uh, open up for public discussion. That open forum is for any topic that's not on tonight's agenda. So it's anything you would like to talk about that's not on tonight's agenda. So when you uh, fill out your speaker cards, please hand them over to me and then I will forward them on to the chair of the Municipal Advisory Council. And that way um, you, he will call you to, to speak on the item that you wrote down for. Uh, we are in person, so uh, uh, there are bathrooms. So those who have not been here to the library before, there are bathrooms out the doors to the right. Um, and when you are speaking, both the MAC members and those um, members of the public that go up to the podium to speak, uh, the, the podium microphone is, is currently off. Um, if you need help turning it on when you speak, the top has a little button. You slide it up for on and down for off. Uh, you'll, you'll figure it out. There's a, a folks here from staff that can help you turn it on if you wish. Members of the MAC, same thing. If when you are uh, not speaking, if you could just make sure that your microphone is off. And when you do speak, you can press the button down, it, it turns on, and then when you're done speaking, you can turn it on. So with that, I'd like to turn it over to the chair. Thank you, Rodrigo. And uh, I wanna welcome everybody. This is kind of a historic deal tonight. This is the first meeting in darn near three years. And I think it's the first hybrid Castro Valley Municipal Advisory Council meeting. So yeah, we're a part of history. Um, I would ask just a, a couple of things. Uh, Rodrigo talked about the speaker cards. Uh, since we have folks online and we have folks in person, uh, when it comes time for the open forum and when it comes time for public comment on any of the agenda items, I'm going to ask for speakers who are on Zoom to go first, and then we will call speakers from, from the room here. Uh, make sense? All right. At that, with that, I'd like to uh, ask Shannon to lead us in the pledge, please. Thank you, Councilmember Kilbrew and staff. Can we have the roll call, please? Yes, Member Thomas. I'm here. Member Padro. Prokopov. Here. Member Moore. I'm on Zoom. Member Kilbrew. 
Vice Chair Carbone. Chair Mulgrew. Present. All present. Thank you, Rodrigo. All right. At this point, it's time for uh, open forum um, public announcements, if there are any. And we would like to start with the folks on Zoom. I'll leave it to uh, Madam Clerk to uh, bring those folks online. And I would again just remind you that if you want to speak from the podium on any item that's not on tonight's agenda at this point, you'll have three minutes. Please fill out one of these where it says uh, speak on item number, put D as in dog, and uh, bring it over to the staff and then you can speak. So uh, at this point, do we have anybody online that wishes to speak? Yes, we have one. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hi, my name is Stephanie Sisson. I'm a member of Tasha Valley. And uh, first, I just want to say thank you for providing the opportunity to attend this meeting both virtually um, and in person. I was hoping to come in person today, but my husband had a work conflict. So I'm happy I can still join virtually. Um, I sent an email to the board members of the MAC just to give a heads up on what I'd be speaking about tonight. And I also uh, included an attachment, which was the Proctor Elementary Safe Routes to School audit that was done back in 2017. That audit detailed out some um, concerns, safety concerns for the children walking to school, um, including the top three priorities being a pedestrian refuge, um, a buffered bike lane, and of course, the Proctor sidewalks that we've discussed previously. Um, my main intention today, I know that there is going to be another meeting on March 20th, where someone from Public Works will be going into more details about um, some of the sidewalk projects, including the Proctor sidewalk project. So I won't go too into detail there today. Um, but I do just want to make sure that it is known by the MAC board that, you know, the public um, and the community is driving for this project to ensure that it does get completed, um, hopefully on time. So there is a lot of public support. And I think there are some other people here today going to be speaking to support on that. Um, you know, in, in the meantime, I know that that project will take some time and has to go through planning phase and implementation phase. But as we know, there was some recent incidents um, that highlighted the, of course, importance and need um, of these sidewalks. In the meantime, I think there is some confusion as to how to park along Proctor Road. Um, and many people continue to park up on the curb um, or the unimproved sidewalk. So the sidewalk does begin at the curb. And there's a lot of people who park on the curb or even partially on the sidewalk. Um, just to kind of, I think, get out of the way. Uh, I think most people want to do the right thing and they just don't know what that is. So we're looking for support. Uh, we'd like Public Works to install some parking signs on Proctor Road. I know there are some signs similar in some of the area, other areas, I think on Somerset, um, that just kind of show this municipal code. I think it's 12.12.020, um, stating that cars do need to park on the road 
and not on the unimproved sidewalk. And I think this will provide a little bit of a um, bridge to, you know, ensuring safety until we can get those sidewalks um, put in place. Um, in addition to that, a high visibility um, or a white curb that can help delineate where that sidewalk begins, I think would also be helpful. Um, and lastly, I wanna request a high visibility crosswalk to be installed at the cross section, the end of Proctor Road, where it crosses Ewing and Walnut. Ewing and Walnut kind of split, it's the same road. Can you, but can, you, can you wrap up in a few seconds, please? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and so there's just a very dangerous route when you're walking down Proctor to get to this Parsons Park. And so I wanna make sure that people can cross safely at that road. So that's why I'm here today and just wanting to provide that information. Thank you. Thank you very much. Madam Clerk, do we have anybody else uh, on Zoom who wishes to speak? Yes, the next speaker is Rosa Lissier. Rosa, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Perfect. Hi, uh, thank you very much for taking my comment. Um, exactly three weeks ago, I was walking my seven-year-old daughter to Proctor Elementary, which I do every morning, when an SUV nearly clipped me and drove right up onto the unapproved walkway. I watched in horror as the driver plowed into my neighbor and her seven-year-old son. I heard the impact of the car hitting their bodies and I saw them go flying. Luckily, both survived, but the mother was taken to the hospital with severe injuries and is still recovering at home. I texted with her yesterday. I'm fairly positive this accident would not have happened if people didn't feel entitled to use our unimproved walkways as parking lots and extensions of the road. The rising sun tends to blind people headed to school on Proctor much of the year, and I believe this driver did not see the victims as she rushed to park. Regardless, this behavior must end near our school where hundreds of kids and parents are walking daily and desperately need protection. I'm speaking today because we really need help, clarity, and awareness. Uh, the morning after the accident, I asked a driver who was parked on the curb to please not park there. She was 10 feet away from where the mother and son had been hit. She seemed confused and frustrated and told me that a driver had stopped to tell her that her minivan was too wide and she needed to park on the curb. That afternoon at pickup, multiple cars were parked up on the walkway. I called Castro Valley Sheriff's Department, they tried to pass me off to the CHP. I had to cite the municipal code proving parking on the walkway is illegal for them not to hang up on me. An officer did come that day and ticketed two drivers. But then the very next day when I called to report more hazardous parking, I was siphoned off to a voice message box to report abandoned cars. Clearly I was becoming a problem by standing up for pedestrians far too young to stand up for themselves. Everybody wants to pack, pass the buck on this situation it seems uh, sheriffs, CHP, public works, school administrators, even neighbors who insist on using the walkway as parking spaces. We need the buck to stop with the Mac board. Please, please champion a safer Proctor Road for our amazing school up here. Um, we've had too many accidents and close calls. I can't tell you how many times I've seen dangerous um, behavior. Um, I have four specific asks. One, make sure the sidewalk timeline is not pushed back. Hopefully it could be sped up and built this summer so that we have a safe route to school in the fall. 
In the meantime, we need no parking on the curb signs on both sides of Proctor between Dorson Lane and Redwood Road. Three, we need the crosswalk walk where Proctor meets Redwood repainted. It's almost completely worn off. Four, we need better speed bumps on Proctor. People tend to drive between 30 and 40 miles an hour, and then they slow down to 25 to hit the speed bumps, which are very mild bumps. Um, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Rosa. Do we have anyone else on Zoom that wishes to speak? Next speaker is Dana Jokowitz. Hello, good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. And I Good evening, this is Dan Jackowitz from the California Highway Patrol Castro Valley Office. I'm a public information officer. And I just wanna say first, I was gonna comment about the weather and some of the things we're experiencing, but um, just wanted to address uh, some things going on in Proctor Road since I heard it brought up. You know, I'm sorry um, that, you know, this incident happened, you know, from a highway patrol standpoint, we never wanna see any cause of injury, um, property damage or death for that matter uh, with traffic collisions. Um, and we are very uh, paying attention very closely to what happened on Proctor Road. We were the on-scene investigators, and we did compile a, a thorough traffic collision report pertaining to that. Um, and so we are continuing to work with the school district as well as the safety coordinator, Nick McMaster, to uh, monitor um, the safe routes and as well as work with safe routes to school uh, where and when we can, providing education, but also enforcement to those areas. Uh, pertaining to the weather, this has been really just uh, one one crazy weather spell we've been having here, especially the last couple of days. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's hitting the CHP pretty hard. We had a CHP officer uh, patrol vehicle. Fortunately, he wasn't inside, hit down in the San Diego freeway on Saturday uh, due to a driver um, spinning out of control, losing control of their vehicle. They were driving too fast. In San Jose today, we saw an officer who was stopped investigating a traffic collision. He had a passenger in the car with him, the person that was involved. They were sitting in his patrol car, and that patrol car was hit again by someone driving too fast in the rain. And uh, so we saw some other incidents. Unfortunately, there was a person that lost her life today on Vasco Road involved with a traffic collision with a with a tractor trailer. And um, these incidents are avoidable um, and they're definitely preventable. We just wanna encourage everybody to reduce their speed, drive for the conditions of the roadway. And as we're seeing more roadways close, like 80 up in the Donner Pass and some other areas in the Grapevine, and even Santa Cruz, uh, so Highway 17 was closing both directions temporarily for, for uh, traffic collisions and wet conditions. We're just asking everybody really to evaluate their driving and drive to arrive, um, reduce your speed speed and, and keep your visual horizon high so you can really uh, react appropriately to any uh, unsafe conditions ahead. If you need some more information about what's going on in the roads out there, visit roads.dot.ca.gov and also our website at www.chp.ca.gov. And we can uh, direct you to locations where you can find road closure information. And again, I can't stress it important that the, the public are the police and the police are the public. So when it comes to reporting these incidents here locally in Castro Valley or throughout the unincorporated area, we never want you to feel like you can't give us a call and get you the information that you need. Uh, I'm sorry if there was any information that was disseminated that wasn't uh, correct. And we look forward to continuing to partner with our community along with our, our special enforcement unit to address speeding and unsafe movements throughout our county on a daily basis. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Officer Jackowitz. So glad you're around. And do we have anyone else, Madam Clerk? 
next speaker is Rebecca Stanek-Rykoff. You have three minutes. All right, uh, good evening, everyone. Um, I wanna thank the MAC for having this hybrid meeting. It makes it a lot easier for um, parents to attend. Um, I'm here tonight uh, to ask the MAC to help support the community in both our short and long-term solutions for safety on Proctor Avenue and um, everywhere in Castor Valley, especially around our schools, but really everywhere around Castor Valley. Um, regarding Proctor specifically, um, any, you know, we, we have heard that Public Works intends to do the design work for sidewalks in 2024 and the construction work in 2025. And I asked the MAC to help support us to push to move that up earlier. There's still time to do that in, um, uh, in, in 2020, to do the design work in 2023 and the um, uh, construction work in 2024. So I asked for support to, to really have a more aggressive timeline on that. Um, also, uh, we asked for support on the short-term solutions. Uh, I think you've all heard me say many times, infrastructure is the best enforcement. Um, you know, things like white lines really help guide people's eye um, as to where they should park and where they shouldn't park in, in the absence of an actual built up curb. Um, I live on the west side of town near Stanton Avenue and Stanton Avenue, by the way, finally has sidewalks. And they're amazing. But for several years before those sidewalks were constructed, um, we had a pilot of those of white lines marking where people could and could not park. And it actually made a huge difference. Um, and, and also the signs of the vehicle code. But those white lines made a huge difference. People suddenly were really not parking on the um, unimproved sidewalk. And it was a lot safer for the students walking to school along Stanton Avenue. So um, I just wanna reiterate that that was a successful short-term solution um, that I hope we can use again on Proctor Avenue. But of course I would um, love to see um, a more aggressive timeline for sidewalk construction on Proctor Avenue. Um, and the other thing I would like to ask the MAC to support us on is really to help us hold Public Works more accountable in their um, strategy and their funding for sidewalk projects. Um, you know, I feel like we have spent a lot of time writing grant proposals um, for, for projects that were not going to be competitive in the um, statewide ATP program. Um, Proctor Avenue is an example of that. You know, how many times did we resubmit that grant? And it's just not competitive with that program. And that's fine. Other things are competitive in that program. Um, but that's an example of how we need help um, really pushing public works to make sure that they're looking for appropriate, par appropriate pots of money for projects in Castro Valley. And, and yeah, we're just asking you to partner with the community and make this a high priority. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Anyone else online? Our next speaker is Fernando Morales. Unmute yourself and you have three minutes. Hello, hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, good evening. My name is Fernando Morales. I am a Proctor parent. Um, I pretty much, I wanna thank uh, Mac for um, giving us some time tonight to kind of voice our concerns about some of the things that have been going on at Proctor's school. Um, specifically um, talking about um, getting some sidewalks 
specifically finding some short-term solutions about what's been going on. I don't wanna echo or repeat anything that has been previously said, but I was on site about three weeks ago when one of my neighbors um, got hit and um, I was taken aback because um, that could have been prevented with some sidewalks. Um, it's kind of scary to think that just by walking to school as a parent, that could have been my son or my daughter and me. So I'm just giving you guys the heartfelt um, story here. And it's not um, coming from a good place. Um, you know, we could have prevented that. And I uh, just wanna echo what was previously said by the parents that have spoken here tonight. And I'll give you guys the time back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Online. Next speaker is Bruce Dougie. You have three minutes. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, Bruce Dougie here. Yeah, so I would like to uh, also um, uh, echo all of this uh, stuff on, on Proctor. Um, especially due to the collision that recently occurred. Um, you know, I had a father, I, I was an independent dad and uh, there was a, another father that I was, uh, um, you know, talking to that used to, to walk all the way from uh, Green Ridge to uh, independent, which was quite impressive. He lived halfway up the hill and uh, he stopped walking with his son when he observed uh, a car that went over the, the um, the curb and through the sidewalk and, and through a fence there on a coal canyon so these things affect people um, and they and they uh, discourage uh, other parents from from walking and we know we need to get people out of their cars um, for congestion reasons and also for climate uh, to, you know to, to help with the climate crisis to reduce our greenhouse gases and so Every time a collision like this happens, it, it discourages other people from doing the right thing. Um, I really think the temporary, um, you know, uh, things like the, the white line and the signs are uh, critical um, to get those installed like tomorrow uh, to, to help out, uh, these, help these people. Um, there's a, actually a really sharp um, extruded curb there already. So there's no, uh, I mean, it's already fairly well delineated. So I think that's why the uh, white line would be helpful because I think people are confused, but it's a sidewalk. It's not, I mean, people keep calling it unimproved, but it's, it's an actual sidewalk. Sidewalks are defined by delineation and not by material. So, um, you know, if you could get uh, public works um, to, to uh, just install these, these uh, really simple and expensive things to, to help our students um, get to school, um, that, that, that's what we need. Uh, I had another thought, I can't think of what it is, but uh, anyway, I guess, I guess just let's, let's make um, Castro Valley uh, a more livable uh, place. Thanks. Thank you, Bruce. Okay, next speaker is Gabriela Sanchez. Unmute yourself and you have three minutes. Sounds like a really hateful song. And so we spoke with one pop artist, Ana Macho, who's a... 
Ms. Sanchez, are you there? Yes, I'm here, sorry. Okay, can you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, so this is um, Gabby Sanchez and I am a Proctor parent, a PTA member and a homeowner at Proctor area in Castro Valley. I agree with Rebecca to have the infrastructure set up for short and long-term in order to set up a safe routes to school for all children walking to school. Um, please ensure, I, I don't wanna also continue the, but I wanna make sure that we, please ensure to make safe routes a priority for your agenda um, to ensure that all kids can get to school safely and not have to fear as they walk to school. And um, that's it, thank you. Our next speaker is Faye. You have three minutes. Please unmute yourself. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Hi, so my name is Faye Champlin. I'm also a parent at Proctor and I would like to voice my concern over the accident that happened a few weeks ago. I park on that road with my seven-year-old child, and I would like to see um, improvements made to the safety in the area, both long-term and short-term. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Our last speaker is John McGarth. You have three minutes. Please unmute yourself. John, are you there? Oh yes, it works. So I like to comment about this. Uh, I like to. We lost you. Oh yes. Oh, yeah, basically. Uh, I came here as a Salamanca resident and I saw a Facebook post about the proposal of adding new uh, housing. And it says that the current way is like, her proposal is to replace, tear down the two stores, uh, place it with multi-story housing. Isn't it, it, wouldn't it even be more profitable and viable to uh, actually have the first floor be business stores and then the rest of the floors be decent, affordable apartment housing, since we could use more of that example throughout the San Lorenzo and the unincorporated areas. And also, I'd like to comment on this uh, poor sidewalk, sidewalk street intersection of the place where the Crunch and U.S. Food Chef store is. It's like I pass by every time, even though I don't. No, even though the accident number is not as high compared to the, uh, not as high compared to the John, thing. John, I'm sorry. Um, are you speaking about locations in San Lorenzo? Yes, location San Lorenzo. Um, yeah. This is the this is the Castro Valley Municipal Advisory Council, and we're not going to take away your time, but. Um, there is an Eden Municipal Advisory Council that, that 
maybe a better uh, a better oh okay sorry about it it's like i just been given a link to that zoom meeting about it it would the eden come up later rodriguez so, when is the next This is Rodrigo Jr. with the uh, with the Alameda County Planning Department. The the Eden Mac hearing is on March 14th. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you very much. I was a little confused by it. Thank you. Oh no, thank you, John. Appreciate it. Anyways, thank you. I'll let you go to the next one. All right. You take care. Hi, Randy Wade. You have three minutes. Please unmute yourself. Randy, are you there? Hello. Yeah, I should be here. Hello. Um, you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry for the confusion, but <clears throat> I was referring people to your second item on the uh, housing Alameda County. Uh, there's a presentation coming up. So it's item two that he can speak on. I know this is Castor Valley, but it also affects a lot of the Eden area. So that's why I was kind of referring people over to this. Um, and I know Castor Valley is very pro-business and uh, they'd be interested in that. So I'll be speaking on item two, even though I live in San Lorenzo. Um, so I'm sorry for the confusion for the previous speaker. Um, I just wanna say also, it's good to see you, uh, Bill, <laughs> even via Zoom, you're doing a great job. And I'm looking forward to hearing uh, some comments about item two from the Castor Valley Board. Thank you so much. Thank you, Randy. And, and anyone, just to clear it, anyone is, is able to speak in public comments. Um, we are uh, we are going to be ending the meeting at nine o'clock because of um, library hours. The library has that set for us. So trying to trying to be purposeful here and keep things moving so that all the items are heard and everybody has a chance to comment. And we look forward to hearing from you on item number two, you and John. Thanks. I want to thank everybody online that spoke and, and um, refreshed the need for uh, attention to Proctor Ave. And as has been mentioned, Public Works will be here next month and we will see that they're prepared for that. So in person, come up to the podium. Christine Tengen, please. And if you can unmute the mic, yeah, it's on the top button on the top. Thank you. I don't know how speaking through this is it clear through the mask? Clear enough. Good evening. I'm Christine Tengen with Castro Valley Matters and also a 25-year resident. Glad we're being in person again. It's important when we're talking about, uh, thank you, important when we're talking about issues like pedestrian safety. Uh, with the recent pedestrian crash near 
uh, Proctor Elementary and at the top of everyone's mind. And of course, a painful commemoration marking three years since we lost uh, middle schooler Lana Carlos to a traffic, uh, to a pedestrian crash. Uh, we look forward to working with the MAC to continue focusing efforts on improving active transportation safety, not only for pedestrians, but for cyclists, our neighbors who roll in wheelchairs, push strollers, or otherwise try to navigate our Castro Valley streets. In the near term, uh, while the community awaits real and proper sidewalks for Proctor, uh, we look to the MAC and we strongly urge you to urge public works and law enforcement to implement the already requested safety improvements along Proctor Road that include signage, uh, white line delineating the curb and sustained enforcement. These quick wins will improve safety, not only for students, but for seniors in the area and for families who just want to walk safely in their own neighborhood. Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Um, next up, Joe Lamberti and Peter Rosen will follow Joe. Hello, my name is Joe Lamberti. My daughter walks to Proctor to school daily. Please prioritize safe routes on Proctor Road and across Castro Valley. I may come off as anti-car, but I'm not. I have more cars in our household than drivers. And 90% of my retirement is in car stocks. Cars are here to stay. That said, pedestrians and bicycles need to be given priority on our roads, on Castro Valley, on Castro Valley roads. When tough decisions need to be made between cars and pedestrians and bikes, we need to choose life rather than the convenience of drivers. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Peter? Hi, everyone. Um, I, believe it or not, I was coming down here to welcome all you guys back to in-person meetings. Uh, <laughs> so um, I think it's great. Um, I think that you guys do a valuable service. I'm glad to see so many people here. I'm glad to see it working in hybrid because I think it approaches, as, as Rebecca had said, it makes it easier for working parents. Not everyone can come down to a million Mac meetings at six o'clock. It's not convenient to most people, especially those who have families. And uh, also, as I think Ken said at the last meeting, um, this Mac is doing a great job. I think that uh, between leadership, the way that you're respectful with each other and with the public, I just wanted to say thanks and keep doing what you're doing. And I'll talk about one of the items later that actually I think relates to the Proctor Road thing as well. But um, Keep it up. Thank you, Peter. Good to see you at the podium. Madam Clerk, we have anyone else online? We have no more speaker cards here. We'll close public comment at this juncture and turn to item E, which is approval of the minutes um, at the January 23rd meeting. Has everyone on the council had a chance to see them? Do we have any changes, additions? No, but I do want to move approval of the minutes uh, for <clears throat> January 23rd. Thank you, Vice Chair Carbone. Do we have a second? Second. Councilmember Padro, thank you. Rodrigo, will you take the vote, please? So the beauty of um, being in person is you guys could just take the vote, eyes and names, oh, or I could call it out as you wish. Right. Yeah. Um, all those in favor, say raise your hand. Okay. Aye. 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 
suppose. And then what happens with Chuck? Yeah, Chuck. I will take the roll call for Member Moore. Member Moore, uh, if you could please yes. cast your vote. Yes. Okay. Any opposed? Abstentions? No. We are unanimous, I believe. 7 0. Thank you. All right. No items on the consent calendar. So we're on to the regular calendar. And the first item is an action item. And I believe uh, Christine Green from planning is going to present that. And Christine, can you give us about 10 seconds to walk out to our viewing chairs? Of course. <laughs> I think we're ready when you are, Christine. Okay, so first item on the regular calendar, PLN 2022-114, is for a general plan amendment and a vesting tentative track map. The owners are 29212 Mission Boulevard, LLC. The applicant is from Carlson, Barbie, and Gibson, INC. Hillary Posadas is a project manager. The project is located on two vacant parcels with frontage on Page Street near the intersection with Miramar Avenue. The request for the general plan amendment would be from residential medium density multifamily to hillside residential. And the second part of the application is to allow subdivision of one site into 19 single family lots plus three remainder parcels. Here is a slide showing you um, an aerial view of the two vacant parcels. The project um, is exempt from CEQA per Article 5, Section 15061, Class 3B3, Common Sense. The subdivision of land is currently designated by the general plan to allow medium density, 23 to 29 dwelling units per net acre, while the pro project is proposing a less dense development by providing single family dwelling with a density of seven dwelling units per acre. Therefore, the impact is less than what was originally approved under the Castro Valley General Plan. The general plan amendment would be from the residential medium density land use to the hillside residential for consistency with the current zoning on the project site since they are in conflict. The current general plan allows for multifamily development while the zoning permits single family development. In 2006, a track map for 19 single family homes was approved and it was consistent with the general plan at time of approval. In 2012, the Castro Valley general plan was updated and changed the general plan designation while the zoning remained the same as the PD allowing single family. The residential hillside or hillside residential is recommended based on the designation located across the street on Page and Toledo streets. Here's a slide showing the yellow is the hillside residential designation. 
The second portion of the application is to subdivide the site into 19 single family parcels, track 7118, with three remainder parcels to be used for open space and stormwater quality measures. The average lot size for the area is 4,404 square feet, while the proposed average lot size for the new development would measure 8,070 square feet. Therefore, the average lot size is exceeded for the project. Here's a slide showing you how the land would be carved up into 19 single family residential lots. Uh, the original rezoning was approved in 1987, which allowed up to 30 single family homes subject to the single family residential zoning district. In 1999, the track map 7118 was approved for 19 single family lots. However, it was never recorded. In 2006, there was a modification approved to the track 7118. Um, which approved the subdivision of the two parcels into the 19 single family homes, and that was never recorded or implemented. Well, currently, we received an application for a single family subdivision of 19 lots. That is what we're being asked to review this evening. The project is in conformance with the planned development district which is under seven, zoning unit 1762, which allows single family residential district uses and is tied to six conditions of approval. There's two conditions of approval that I wanted to go over. All of them are in the packet. Uh, number three, condition of approval under the plan development states that no structure within 100 feet of Page Street shall exceed an elevation of 15 feet above curb elevation along Page Street, and no structure beyond 100 feet from Page Street shall exceed an elevation of five feet above curb elevation along Page Street. Both are measured perpendicular to the street. The applicant has provided this building height summary plan which confirms that no structure within 100 feet of page will exceed the 15 feet above curb elevation. So there's a little chart, building height summary, that calls out page street, top of curb elevation, top of pad, and top to the roof. And then they've also provided the um, elevations written on the map. So that's evidence that the project could meet the condition number three. Um, the second portion of that condition um, is also met based on the site sections. The next slide that I'll show you uh, that the, the picture or the plan show, it shows a relationship between the floor plates of the existing homes on Page Street and the tops of the roofs of the new single family homes. This is showing that there will not be uh, any buildings in the views of the bay to the existing residential dwelling units across the street. Here is the um, site section plan that uh, is being referenced as evidence that the project can meet the conditions under the plan development. Um, condition number six requires that all construction go through the site development review application process through the planning department. 
uh, to preserve the views of the existing residences in the area, accessibility, grading, parking, and other issues that may arise would all be evaluated under that site development review process. This is a requirement or required condition of approval under the plan development to ensure that the new homes would be lower than the existing residences across Page Street. The applicants requesting that this be done with the current tract map and general plan amendment instead of having to go through uh, additional applications. Staff is requesting that due to the complexity of the project that the site development review would be done at a later date after um, the tract map and general plan amendment is acted on. Staff did not receive uh, comments from uh, three agencies and after the packet was mailed out, uh, staff did receive a response from the building inspection that there's no objection to uh, the development of the lot and grading uh, confirmed that the previous comments are still valid and that additional money is required from the applicant to review the geotechnical reports. The land development also confirmed that the previous con uh, referral comments received in June of 2022 are still valid. And they also added uh, nine additional preliminary comments um, to be included in the conditions. And just they were general conditions that the applicant would need to obtain building and grading permits uh, obtain encroachment permit if work is done in the rideway, and that uh, storm drain improvements would be required to be in compliance with county ordinances. Staff is recommending approval of the application um, and is asking for the Castro Valley MAC to recommend approval to the Board of Supervisors of the General Plan Amendment and to recommend approval to the Planning Commission of the tentative track map based on the resolutions and the CEQA exemption listed before you and in your packet. That is the end of staff's presentation. Thank you, Christine. If you could just give us a minute to get resettled. Yeah. Uh, at that time, we'll open up public comments on this item. doesn't qualify as an aerobic workout, but it's better than just sitting there. Um, do we have anyone here who wishes to speak on this item? If so, oh, we have, we have one. So for those members of the public who wish to speak on this item, please fill out the green speaker cards and hand them to me, and then I can forward them on to the chair. So I will walk over these received thus far. Well, um, while that's happening, Madam Clerk, do we have anyone online who wish, anyone on Zoom who wishes to speak on this? Yes, we have one speaker. It's Bruce Goody. You have three minutes, so unmute yourself, please. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Hello? Okay. Uh, yeah, I hear complaints all the time about how, um, you know, when we go and put uh, denser 
uh, you know, when there's proposals for denser uh, housing in where there, uh, where there's uh, uh, less dense housing, I, I always hear people complain and, um, and it seems like uh, uh, people really resist that. In this case, we're actually talking about the opposite. You know, we need housing and uh, they're talking about lot sizes that are actually twice the size of the um, surrounding lots. Um, so it seems like uh, you know, it would be really great if we could go denser with the housing as opposed to um, you know, just the 19 uh, uh, units because uh, not only do we need the, the housing, but it would also then fit this um, neighborhood a little bit better, which is one of the things that I, I hear uh, complaints about so often. So it seems to go one way and not the other. Um, so I hope that you guys can look at that and, and see the, um, the irony or the uh, inconsistency and, uh, and uh, request uh, you know, denser housing. So that's it, thanks. Bruce, we have anyone else on Zoom? We have another speaker, Ann Kerr. You can unmute yourself. You have three minutes to speak. Yeah. Hi. Thank you, everyone. I'm a resident of Page Street, and I just wanted to call and, and support any project on these vacant lots. I believe further down this hill is a different lot that has a, a denser apartment building planned on it between that and these single family homes on top of the hill, if, if that has the support of the homeowners that live across the street, um, I think it's really necessary to just gener improve the quality of life on, on the street here. Having the homes will you know, just bring new neighbors and a sense of care that's currently maybe missing a little bit from there. So looking forward to you know, any future meetings on this topic and then seeing what I can do to help support this project. That's all, thank you. Thank you very much. No one else online, all right. Then we will start with uh, Clint Griffin, please. Thank you for taking the time to have this meeting tonight. Um, Clayton Griffin, we live at 16512 Toledo, which is the very corner house, maybe one of the more effective houses right on the very corner. Looks like where the street will come in and feed is right near our house. Uh, I was looking at the drawing. I was a little concerned that there's only one way in and out into this neighborhood, which means all the traffic will be fed into onto Page Street. Um, I do like the idea of the 19 houses. I think that's good for the density. Uh, we were here a couple of years ago when they were going to put some high density apartments, which we were against. So I like that. I like the fact that we'll have uh, good housing and take care of the lot, maybe slow down some of the traffic. I am concerned about the parking on that street with all the, with the 19 new houses. If they'll use Pay Street as our parking area, uh, we have some issue with that already. Uh, the additional people and, and maybe uh, the trash is another uh, issue that we have a lot of trash pickup. There's some of us in the neighborhood that go pick up trash on a regular basis. So um, in terms of the neighborhood itself, I think it's good. It's a good plan for the area. I would just like to consider the fact that there's only one way in and out and the parking issues that might come with 
uh, 19 new homes and, and what that might mean for the current residents. Thank you. Thank you, Quinn. Uh, David Middleton, please. I, uh, I also am a resident, uh, 16518 Toledo Street. I would be one of the homes uh, affected. Uh, I purchased uh, our family's home four years ago and uh, the view is beautiful and the community is great. Um, I wanted to thank uh, Christine Green for quick response and documentation. Uh, I wanna thank um, Chairmember uh, Mulgrew also, uh, whenever I've sent um, emails on behalf of other community members, they've been well received. And so I feel like this is uh, democracy at the local level working effectively. And I really do appreciate that. Um, in terms of looking at the goal of the project, it says for a variety of types of housing, to meet the anticipated needs or enhancing the livability of Castro Valley's neighborhoods. Uh, the positives I see from this proposal is that because we have a high number of cars that will park along the um, along Page Street for the view at, at late hours of the night, there's a lot of litter uh, and sometimes occasional dangerous activities. I do think that when we have homes there that that will be reduced and that'll be a, a positive for the community. Um, I, uh, I also think that it would reduce fire dangers a couple of years back when we had a dry uh, summer, we had a real, uh, a real danger, uh, fire risk, and I do think that the housing there. Uh, I also think that the two family garages will help to uh, mitigate or cut back on any potential parking problems that may emerge. To me, it sounds reasonable with the 19 uh, single family homes. Um, I'm gonna just quickly refer to, um, the 60-page uh, staff report of the proposed development that I was provided in advance. Um, I, um, what makes me feel uh, at ease about the project is that it, you know, it lines up with uh, the prior zoning ordinance. Um, when I look at page six, it says the rezoning was approved in 1987, uh, as long as these six uh, conditions uh, below were met. And Christine actually uh, highlighted the majority of the ones that I had um, thought were really important. Uh, the most important for me was that 15 foot above curve elevation on Page Street to preserve the views. Um, I did have a question about, um, uh, issue or item number six, which is the site development review. Christine referred to this, said due to the complexity of the project, the site development review would take place after uh, the general plan amendment and subdivision are approved. And I wanted to know what is the process? How would that work? And how would one participate in that? Lastly, I would like to know what's the timeline for construction and completion date if this proposal is indeed approved. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Middleton. And now we have Mark Moran, please. Good evening. Uh, I'm actually one of those guys that lives on the street and cleans it. Goes up there with the garbage and picks up all the garbage that the people are littering at night while the police are just driving by doing, well, they're doing nothing. Uh, my concerns, I live in the condos right above and we have a spectacular view. My concerns were uh, going above the 15 feet, uh, 
any trees. I noticed that they said they were going to put uh, look like cherry trees and olive trees, which don't generally grow that high. So, but between the trees growing up high and the, the parking, the gentleman earlier had said about there's only one way into the actual other uh, units, but it looks like there's only six back there. All the others look like they you drive right in right from Page Street right into the garage. Uh, I, my concern is they're using the two-car garage and they're parking out there on the street as well. That would be my concern. The parking, the trees above 15 feet. I noticed that they also had mentioned that uh, the roofs are flat, except for the ones in the back. The ones in the back will be a little bit higher. So my concerns are, are right there. That's all I got. But other than that, she had a great presentation and uh, thanks. Thank you very much. Anyone else in person wish to speak on this item? If not, we'll, can we have one, anyone online? Okay. We'll invite the applicant up, but the applicant wishes to speak. And then uh, just real uh, quick reminder of folks, when they speak into the microphone, if you could speak uh, into the microphone so that the uh, members at home can also hear. Uh, should be on hopefully right now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes, thank you. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Andrea Balanca with Carlson, Barbie, and Gibson, uh, the principal at a civil engineering firm. Hillary Posadas was unable to join us today. She's at home on maternity leave. Um, but uh, first of all, I'd like to thank staff, both Rodrigo and Christine. Uh, the presentation was very thorough and complete. Uh, I think it covered all the issues that have been brought up to you today. Uh, it gives you a clear history of what the past uses or the past uh, project zoning and general plan were and kind of how we got today and sort of the uh, approvals we're looking for. So uh, I did not want to kind of reiterate what Christine had said. I think she did a wonderful job. Uh, I'm here to answer any questions you have. Uh, there have been a couple of questions specifically on parking, and I think those were somewhat addressed by the by the uh, public, but uh, as is contemplated, we have two car garages for all the units plus uh, a driveways that have basically two spaces for additional cars. And then any overflow parking would end up on Page Street. Um, but outside of that, you know, we, uh, we, our goal was to keep the project consistent with sort of what was originally approved with the 19 units. Uh, there was a comment regarding the lot size. Um, the lot size is really, the larger lot size is somewhat a factor of the grade, the topography of the site. There's quite a bit of grade on the site. So we have a lot of area that is not necessarily as usable as some of the areas uh, to the north of us. Uh, but outside of that, I'm here to answer any questions you or any of the commissioners may have. And uh, thank you for considering our project. Thank you very much. Uh, Christine, did you wanna address Mr. Moran's questions about site development review? Sure. Um, so if a site development review application were to be submitted by the applicant, uh, the public within 300 or 500 foot radius would be notified just as they were uh, the same manner as for this project. And more than likely, the designs of the home and the landscaping and potentially the story poles would all be um, 
addressed in the staff report and out in the real world for those story polls, it would come before Castro Valley Municipal Advisory Council for their recommendation to the planning director for approval or denial of um, each single family home. Thank you, Christine. Mr. Moran, does that answer your question? If we, I'm sorry, uh, if we, when we call up members, of, if they could just speak into the mic, just for the, uh, for the record. Thank you very much. Thank you. I believe the um, the staff report mentions that a landscape plan is coming. Yes. Yeah, so the landscape plan we've already uh, uh, requested of the applicant to make sure that the trees that are selected with, through a landscape architect do in fact grow to be the same height as the house or, or, or less. So uh, at those points, they're key. And then regarding the HOA, there would be a CCNR as an HOA for the for the uh, subdivision. Thank you, and so, so the landscape design, I uh, just finished up, the landscape design would be reviewed publicly during the site of our review process for the house. Thank you, Rodrigo. Thank you, everybody that's, that's uh, here to comment on this. And at this point, I'll close public comment if we have no one on Zoom with a hand up. And I would turn to the council. And since we can't see hands raised, we'll just start with Vice Chair Carbone and work our way down the table with questions or comments. All right. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, Mr. Chair. So um, I guess the first question I got was probably the last thing I heard. And is that neighborhood under an HOA? OK. I, OK. I'm, I'm just not sure um, about that. Um, so I was just curious about these. And these are individual single family homes. So. I've, not sure how an HOA could play into this, but um, that'd be something that needs to be worked out. Obviously, um, the density, I think is absolutely right. It just looks like it's actually, um, it finishes out a neighborhood that never was finished. So um, the reality of the density, I think you guys, I think it's, you know, right on point. Um, and uh, there's nothing really to, else to say, I guess that, um, but the tree height could be a, an issue. So. That should be a condition of approval just that the trees can't uh, exceed the 15 foot height limit. And um, I think that needs to just be in there. Uh, other than that, I don't, I don't see anything else. I'm in support of the project. Thank you, Jen. Jen, you have anything? I just have a question about the density and um, the 19 units, as opposed to, does it have a lot to do with the, the grading in the area? Is it just impractical to try to put more homes in there? That's for the applicant. 
uh, so to answer your question, uh, yes, the in order to achieve a two-car garage, there's a certain minimum width that the lots need to be. Uh, obviously, the architecture will refine that, but that was sort of the starting point that we began with. And then with all the grading on the site or the topography on the site, it does limit sort of how much of the site we can actually truly develop. So the original zoning code allowed for 30 units. And obviously, if we could get there, we would, but we felt that 19 was what was originally approved. And that's really what was all that was practical to go forward with. Thank you. Thank you. Council Member Padro. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Good everyone. Uh, I just have two areas of concern. They've already partially been voiced. One is the HOA consideration, specifically with regard to parking in the garage and the driveway versus the street. I've had some experience with HOAs that dictate that garages should be dedicated only to parking of vehicles and not storage uh, to facilitate adequate parking for both at least two cars inside the garage. And then if there are additional cars uh, with the family dwelling uh, to be parked in the driveway. Uh, so that's, I'd like to see that specifically be a, a condition of approval. Uh, the second thing is I, I echo what has been spoken already about the tree heights, making certain that they don't exceed 15 feet. Uh, so that the view uh, and, and those amenities can continue to be enjoyed. Lastly, from staff, I just want to make certain, as I was viewing the presentation uh, earlier this week, I received a copy of the, uh, the adoption back in July of 2006 with regard to some of the conditions of approval. And I just wanted to make certain that all those conditions would be met. Are you, did you get a copy of this, Rodrigo, by chance? So uh, could you could you read? Uh, it's a vesting tentative map track 7118, which was adopted on July 17th of uh, 2006 under resolution 96-22. Yes, so so we've copied those conditions into the track map conditions of approval for, for this uh, snow. Christine, if you could speak further into the conditions and, and in general what they require as far as the landscaping and the center review. Yeah, so, um, and parking condition of approval number 22 uh, requires that the parking shall be provided and maintained for each dwelling unit, um, but conditions of approval number seven um, talks about the required conditions that are in the zoning unit or the plan development. And then condition of approval number eight has language in there about the landscaping um, shall not exceed the building height that the homes are limited to. Okay, and let me just review that okay. uh, number 22 as far as the access parking should be provided and maintained two parking spots uh, for each dwelling. That doesn't specifically uh, enumerate those in the garage versus in the driveway. And I'm just, yeah, I'm concerned. Uh, I've had experience with this kind of thing and all of a sudden the parking begins to encroach on Bates Street more and more and more because people use the garage as a storage, A and B because of internet accessibility, driveways no longer accommodate parked cars either. So, so just so uh, staff has 
um, the language that you would like included explicitly in that condition of approval number 22, uh, the use of the garages shall uh, be for two indoor parking spaces. Yes, sir. Yes. Good. And then uh, uh, those, those two or three items all have concern with Mr. Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Council Member. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I had very similar questions to those that have already been asked. So I am good. Thank you. Councilmember Good evening. Uh, my concerns for that. I'm also in agreement with the parking. Uh, two parking spaces. It should be car cars parked there. So after uh, the other comment I had or the concern is uh, this letter from the neighbor uh, states uh, homeowners in this community experienced flooding and property damage as a result of the recent rainstorms. And uh, they're asking if there's any studies done to the new proposed construction uh, to can they handle more severe flooding and property damage. So glad that the civil engineer is here. I would defer to the civil engineer to. Yeah, so with regard to the future development and the site, uh, the site will be required as per the conditions of approval to uh, mitigate their stormwater runoff. And so to do that, we will be, we introduce some basins for water quality treatment, and there's a condition of approval for the analysis of the downstream storm drain system. Typically a project would be releasing the same amount of runoff as is in the pre-development condition, and that's sort of what has been anticipated. So that will be uh, through the engineering and design phase, that'll be worked through with public works to get to an approval at that stage. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anything else, Georgia? All right. And then um, Mr. Chair, uh, Member Moore uh, has their hand raised. Thank you. Council Member Moore. Thank you. Mr. Out of sight, out of mind, I'm sorry. That's okay, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I couldn't hear a single word that that particular speaker was talking about. And um, I was wondering if you could kind of um, recap that for me. And then also um, uh, the parcel up there, C and B, can somebody tell me a little bit more about that C parcel? Is that a little, it's really, Difficult to see it on the um, the plans unless I have a giant magnifying glass. And um, is that a little park, or is how is it uh, vegetated? Um, Christine, could you please pull up the site plan showing the uh, proposed subdivision, the remainder parcels, and then again, yeah. uh, applicant civil engineer, if you could, Andrea, if you could please speak to the use of the remainder parcels. I can do screen somehow, right? Let me see. Here we go. Uh, Commissioner Moore, can you hear me now a little better? It's this one, right? Yes. So uh, on the site plan, what you're seeing, the parcel B and parcel C on the, uh, uh, on the, well, the north side of the site, 
those two are will be uh, HOA parcels for storm drain purposes. The bio basins are located in those, and they've been consolidated uh, to a single location. That was through some direction from an engineering staff. Uh, par parcel A on the opposite okay. side. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. They will be used as a. Um... Uh, a green belt or something for people to walk around on or anything like that? Uh, there, there really isn't much extra space for it to be sort of for public use. It's more just, it's solely intended for water quality and storage and storage mm -hmm. uh, treatment. And then because it's in a single parcel, the HOA can more easily maintain it uh, over the life of the project. And then parcel, parcel A is, uh, basically the steepest portion of the hillside there. And so there was thought that it could be part of lot one, uh, but then we decided to make it a separate parcel so the HOA could sort of maintain the, any sort of weeds or anything else that might occur on that parcel. Any other questions? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Um, Having seen the site and having seen the plans, it, it seems like a great match of, uh, you know, a project to the environment. And it feels to me like, um, like the applicant has done a, a reasonably good job of, of taking into consideration the, the views of the neighbors, the, the traffic, the, the parking. Um, short way of saying, or long way of saying, I support this this project as well. I, I do have a question, Christine, about um, the site development review that was that you mentioned. Um, are we being asked to also approve a, a delay in the site development review process that was required as a condition of approval in 2006? Well, if you... Uh wish to recommend approval on the project based on the conditions that are before you, then the site development re review does require a application at a later date. Uh, thank you. That would be something that, that I would I would support. So at this point, if there is no, oh, oh. I, I, uh, public comment has been closed. So, uh, I'm sorry, the public comment was closed. So. Thank you. Okay, at this point, we have, I think, um, a condition of approval that regarding the garages. That yeah, well, we have two. We have two things on here that right. that um, I think that we agreed to, and that was the uh, conditions for the uh, garage to be retained as in a garage for vehicles, tree height to not exceed the fifteen foot. Um, I thought there was, that's the only two other things. And then the planning considerations um, that are all listed are also included, but I think the only two things that we had were, were that. Okay. So, I mean, if you want, I can move, make a motion here. 
which it can assure. Yeah. Let's just get yeah. this done. Um, I'd like to move approval of PLN uh, 2022-114 uh, and tentative track map uh, TR7118 with um, the two conditions as as um, listed and yeah. I'll second that motion. All right. Any, any additional discussion? Okay. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Member Moore, if you could please, for the record, state your vote. <clears throat> and you're muted. Aye. Say it again, Chuck, please. Aye. Yes. Thank you. Any opposed? Abstain? You're unanimous. Thank you to everybody that, that came and spoke. and. Um, Thank you, uh, thank you to the applicant for a good project. And we will now move on to item number two, an informational item. Uh, and Liz, will you be presenting tonight? Yes, I will. Uh, Can you give us a second to turn around? Sure. It was, I think we're ready. Okay, great, thank you. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, I'm here tonight to uh, give you an update on where we are with uh, the preparation of the uh, county's housing element for the uh, unincorporated area. And uh, just a reminder, <clears throat> I know you've heard this before, but uh, the housing element is an opportunity to shape how the unincorporated communities will grow over the next eight years. State law requires that each local jurisdiction revise its housing element every eight years. So all of the uh, cities and counties in the Bay Area are uh, in the process of doing that right now. The deadline for approval uh, by State Housing and Community Development Department and the Board of Supervisors was the end of January of this year. And we did miss the deadline, but we are working as diligently as possible to complete the draft and get it to um, HCD for their review. Uh, we expect to distribute the draft uh, for a 30-day public review period and, and perhaps uh, a little longer, depending on um, how, how it goes, um, in late March. And uh, submittal for, uh, of the draft to state HCD is uh, expected in late April of this year. And the state HCD has 90 days to review the draft, uh, at which time they'll give us comments and we will make revisions to address their comments and um, if necessary, submit it back to them. And they have, uh, for the second round, they have 60 days to review the draft. Uh, and the, the 
comment period and our responses continue in, until they are satisfied that our draft um, it complies with state statute. Uh, we are hoping to communicate closely with state uh, staff during the review period and respond um, with changes as we can uh, as the com comment period moves along um, so that we can minimize the number of comments that we need to respond to at the end of the comment period um, so we can um, speed up the, the process as much as possible. Uh, and uh, if, if we are successful in doing that, we uh, expect to have the, the unapproved housing element by fall of this year. The required components for housing elements, and this is based on uh, state law, are um, we need to assess the, the need for housing, um, both existing, which includes any deficit we currently have in, in the number of housing units needed to provide adequate housing for our residents, uh, projected need, which is um, where the regional housing needs allocation comes in, and also populations with special needs. And state law uh, identifies specific groups of uh, people with special needs that, that we need to address. We need to develop policies and programs that uh, fulfill the identified needs that we, um, uh, that are uh, raised during this process and, um, and also to address any issues that come up. The housing element has to include a site's inventory and analysis to show that uh, there is capacity in the unincorporated area to accommodate uh, the identified uh, housing need. There has to be an analysis of governmental and non-governmental constraints, uh, an evaluation of existing housing uh, element policies and programs, so we can determine what's been working and should be continued into the new element and what didn't work or, or was not uh, implemented and um, we should drop it from, from the new element and, and try other, um, other approaches. Also new for this, uh, this um, cycle is the affirmatively furthering fair housing uh, analysis, which is prescribed by state law. And we also need to engage in um, uh, community involvement in the process, which is part of the, uh, the, this meeting tonight is part of that process. Here's just a few examples of some of the policies and programs <clears throat> that we're looking at based on what's come up already in the process. Um, we're very aware of when we're talking about where housing um, would be built, where there is capacity for additional housing, um, that uh, there are uh, some areas that have been identified by the state as having higher uh, level of resources and lower uh, resource areas. And we plan to have policies and programs to target uh, additional community resources in lower resource areas um, to um, 
make them uh, better able to um, accommodate any additional housing that might be built there. Um, we're looking at uh, policies to address uh, potential displacement within unincorporated communities. If uh, there's a, a community where new housing is built, we wanna make sure that um, that the uh, effect of that housing is not to displace the existing residents. Um, uh, another thing we're looking at is passing an inclusionary zoning ordinance uh, or other community benefit program to uh, encourage the development of low-income housing. And uh, we also want to have a program uh, about working with BART to facilitate the development of housing at the Castro Valley and Bayfair BART stations. Uh, there was a state law that was passed uh, a few years ago that requires um, cities and counties that uh, where there's land owned by BART within a half mile of a BART station, um, the, the state law requires uh, local jurisdictions to um, allow uh, residential development at uh, prescribed densities and um, there are requirements, uh, uh, minimum height requirements and, and um, some other re uh, requirements as well um, to, to comply with BART's uh, transit-oriented development guidelines. So we will include uh, policies and programs to make sure that we comply with uh, BART's guidelines. And I, I know you've seen this before, but just a reminder, um, the uh, regional housing needs allocation for this cycle that we're working on right now is considerably higher than the previous cycle. So um, we have been working hard to identify sites um, with enough uh, uh, capacity to uh, accommodate the number of units that we are required to provide for. And this table shows, as you saw on, on the, the table with the, the RENA numbers, we need to accommodate um, sorry, we need to accommodate um, uh, a certain number of units for each of the uh, identified income levels. So um, just to give you an idea of the incomes that we're looking at for these different income levels, um, this is these are numbers provided by uh, Housing and Urban Development um, based on uh, uh, household size. Uh, so, for example, if we're talking about a low-income housing unit um, uh, uh, for a three-person household, an uh, annual income of $98,650 would be considered low-income. Uh, the site's inventory has been uh, uh, something that we've been working on for uh, the past, I think, six or seven months now. Uh, it's been um, a significant undertaking considering the, the level of uh, 
housing units that, that we're being asked to accommodate. Uh, and state law requires that each city and county uh, demonstrate that zoning and general plan designations allow enough housing development capacity to accommodate the arena. Uh, inventory sites have been identified in every unincorporated community. Um, so we're, we haven't assigned a specific number of units to uh, find uh, capacity for in each community, but we have been looking in each community and there are sites identified in, in each. Um, another thing I wanna stress is that property owners will decide whether or not to develop their properties and what to develop on their properties. So just because a site is shown on the inventory does not mean that uh, a property owner will develop the site with residential um, housing. It, um, they can choose to not develop, they can uh, choose to develop and they will have options um, as, as to how the property is developed. The, the county does not build the housing, the, the property owners still have control over development on the site. And applications for housing development still go through a regular approval process. Being listed on the site's inventory does not give them uh, any special um, uh, ability to develop without going the through the, the, the same process that they normally would. And also um, for purposes of assigning properties to an income category, uh, state HCD uh, generally uses density as a proxy for income level. So uh, because a, a site is uh, put into a low-income category that is based on um, generally based on the the density uh, assigned to the site, not to um, oops, sorry, uh, not to uh, uh, the, a, a requirement that the property be developed at a certain level. So to identify sites, uh, this methodology is prescribed uh, by uh, state HCD. Um, we started out by identifying projects in the development pipeline. So these are property or these are projects that were um, developed or, or were approved. Um, they applied for an approved but not constructed yet. We also have um, sites that where uh, an application for development has been submitted, but it hasn't gone through the whole process yet. And we still get to count those um, units toward um, meeting the RENA, um, and at least at this point. Um, even though they, they haven't been approved yet. We identified vacant public and private parcels using assessors data, satellite imagery and local knowledge. We identified underutilized parcels and these are defined uh, again by the state as property where the value of the land is higher than the value of the existing improvements. So the, the state feels that, that these 
um, these parcels are more likely to develop um, or redevelop uh, with uh, as with residential uses um, than uh, other parcels, for example, where a, a brand new building has just been built. And they're, they're looking for justification that a property will be developed um, within the, the time frame of the housing element. And we're in the process of reviewing the vacant and underutilized sites um, to um, see if, if there are sites that, that we can identify for rezoning to accommodate more units um, to help us meet our uh, regional housing needs allocation. And um, we are also taking into consideration environmental hazards and sensitive areas. So we're looking at slopes and creeks and, and things like that that might um, make some sites more difficult to develop. <clears throat> so some of the, the key sites that we're looking at in the inventory are, as I mentioned, the Bayfair and Castro Valley BART station parking lots, the Castro Valley Boulevard Rite Aid site, <clears throat> the County Radio Communication Station at Foothill Boulevard <clears throat> and 155th, that's across from the, the, the Sheriff's substation. <clears throat> the first Presbyterian um, Groveway site adjacent to Trader Joe's. And uh, I want to add not the Trader Joe's site, but the, the church site next to Trader Joe's. Um, we are uh, looking at uh, the, the Crunch Fitness site and adjacent parcels in San Lorenzo. And um, we've had some interest um, expressed by the, the property owners of, of some of those parcels. Um, we're looking at uh, potential additional residential development in San Lorenzo Village area. And um, some of you may be aware that, that we do have an urban growth boundary around the urban area, uh, both in the, around the Castro Valley urban area and also uh, out in East County um, around um, uh, Dublin, Pleasanton and Livermore. Um, and we have identified only one site in, out in the East County area um, for potential housing, and that is inside the urban growth boundary uh, to the east of the of, uh, city of, of Pleasanton. So uh, we are not uh, considering any sites that are currently outside of the urban growth boundary. So I know this is hard to see, but just to give you a general idea, and, and these maps are still in draft form. Um, we are working to um, come up with a, a more final draft um, to uh, release with our public review draft uh, of the whole document. Um, but to just give you a, a bit of a preview of, of what we're looking at in terms of sites, um, Here's the um, Castro Valley specific plan area. And we have the BART station shown as um, uh, a rezone site. Um, and that is again, to comply with the, the BART uh, 
transit-oriented development guidelines. We have the, the Rite Aid site here. Um, here's the site you're just looking at, shown as a pipeline site, um, which just means that it's, it's uh, uh, an active application. Um, and you can see that um, there are several um, sites shown as um, that have been identified as vacant residential sites um, scattered throughout um, the, the community. And these um, it, it were, um, in, including these, we're not uh, proposing to change the zoning or general plan designation, but they were just identifying them as sites where potential development could happen. Um, here's the, um, the county communication center um, site near the, the sheriff station. Um, I included other the maps of other areas just to uh, show you that we, we have um, identified sites throughout um, the urban unincorporated area. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, another section that we need to, to work on is housing constraints and our consulting team has completed an initial draft of that and we're uh, going through uh, an internal review of that so that can be included in the, the public review draft. Um, we are also very close to completing the analysis of the, the previous housing elements policies and programs. Uh, for the affirmatively furthering fair housing analysis, um, the, the purpose of this is to analyze the history of fair housing in the unincorporated area and to affirmatively further fair housing throughout the housing element. So we, we will use the information that we um, obtained through that uh, analysis to inform uh, all, all of the housing element. We'll, we'll apply it to every section of the, the housing element, especially the site's inventory and, and the programs and policies. But we've already uh, accessed records at the Hayward Area Historical Society. And to supplement that information, we did want to try to get some um, information from unincorporated residents um, to maybe um, make the, the historical information we've been finding uh, a little more real and re relevant to current residents. So um, we have set up a, a venue online for residents to share their housing stories. So um, we'd love to hear how people came to live in the unincorporated area, any sort of um, struggles they've had finding housing. Um, and so if you follow this link, you'll find a, a template that you can uh, type into uh, and submit it to us. And, and we would appreciate hearing from you. Um, we've also targeted outreach to stakeholders representing populations with um, special housing needs. And this includes elders, renters, people with disabilities um, to understand their housing needs and, and um, what actions might be um, possible to, to help them find adequate housing. 
And we're working with our consultants to develop draft policies. And these are some of the activities that we've been uh, engaged in to um, involve the community in the process. Um, we did a round of meetings with uh, in our MACs and including your uh, council uh, between July and October. Um, <clears throat> we've been holding uh, small group interviews with key stakeholders to make sure that we reach the, the special needs groups that, that the state requires uh, us to uh, contact. Um, we have reached out to key landowners to determine interest in including their properties in uh, the inventory. Um, and we're, we're getting some good information back from, from many of uh, our property owners. Uh, we've been working with the uh, Ashland Cherryland Healthy Communities Collaborative. Um, <clears throat> we have an online survey that's uh, up right now, and we encourage all of you to go to our website and take the survey. Um, we're very interested in, in hearing your input. And uh, as I mentioned, we have the, the Share Our Housing Stories uh, uh, link on our website as well. Um, this is the last in uh, this series of meetings with our uh, advisory and uh, decision-making bodies. And we will be back um, in March and April for um, a public review period. And we'll have community workshops and another round of meetings with all of you. Um, so uh, stay tuned. We'll uh, we would like to get more input from you as well. Some mouse issues. Uh, as I said, this is the last meeting in, in this series. Um, so to reach us, we have an email address that our staff is monitoring. So you can email us at housingelement at acgov.org. Uh, we have a housing element website, uh, and there's a, a link to that on the planning department webpage. You can sign up for email notices for our meetings, and we'll let you know when the draft is available <clears throat> and all important uh, deadlines um, and opportunities for involvement. Our, um, our survey is uh, available at the link shown, and there's also uh, a link just from our Housing Element website. So you can just go there and, and find the survey as well. And then the Share Your Stories link as well. So that's it. And uh, I'd be happy to answer your questions and take your comments. Thank you, Liz. Give us a second to get resettled and then we'll get on to uh, public comments if there are any. Madam Clerk, do we have anyone online that wishes to speak on this? Randy Waggy, you have three minutes. Unmute yourself, please. Hello, Randy.
I, there I am. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> like I said, um, I've kind of made the crossover to the Castro Valley Mac. I did speak on this item at unincorporated services. Um, I guess what I'm saying uh, is even for, for you know, your group in Castro Valley, that Rite Aid was going to become a sprout. So I know it didn't work out. But, um, you know, commercial property is important to people. And when you build a lot of housing, you still need these amenities. And I'm just saying also from our standpoint in San Lorenzo, we've been pushing for economic development and for good businesses to come in for a long time. I think you know that, Bill. You are on the heck head of the Eden Chamber, and we really appreciate that. Uh, you're always so great on that. Um, so it's kind of frustrating in San Lorenzo in that two of our good businesses that came in in the last probably eight or 10 years, Crunch Fitness and Chef's Choice. Great stores. We don't have a lot in San Lorenzo. So now you change the zoning and this owner can put, you know, nothing but housing, just smash down the two buildings, possibly. I mean, you say, oh, no, that might not happen. But by changing the zoning, you can allow that to happen. And then plus for us in San Lorenzo, we're pretty small, three square miles. And most of our downtown looks to be rezoned for that, for housing. And at the previous meeting, I think Liz had said, and maybe I'm mistaken, you could put in 75 units per acre. So that would be a ton of housing. Um, and you know, do you have the infrastructure, the driving, the water? So I know we need housing, but for me, I keep saying, let's keep looking. Maybe there's some other spaces that are a little bit further off from our downtowns, you know, more, keep looking more churches. Uh, Keith had mentioned even in San Lorenzo, there's church property. And, you know, we love our bikes and walking, but cars aren't going to go away. We do need some of the parking, you know, for, for these businesses. And um, perhaps Bayfair could go further up be a multi-story. Um, I know it's all in the preliminary part of it. Also, I'm just speaking because I had also requested that the San Lorenzo Village Homes Association get a presentation on this someday. Um, I think because it's going to affect us quite a bit. Anyway, this is a Castor Valley meeting, so I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet now. But a uh, good meeting overall. You guys are doing a great job. I am amazed at how engaged Castor Valley is. You, you you, you know, we can't, we can't keep up with you guys. Thank you. Have a, have a great rest of your meeting. Thank you, Randy. Do we have anyone else online? Nathan Paolo, please unmute yourself. You have three minutes. Hi, um, we're really excited to hear about the uh, housing element and just the general development. This is uh, Nathan and my husband, Shin. We just moved to Castro Valley. And I think one of the things that's always been so stark about moving to California in general, but um, some of the, the neighborhoods and areas mentioned in the potential site inventory is just the amount of asphalt and parking lot and in a lot of cases, unused parking lot. So we're excited to see anything related to developing areas like the Rite Aid up the street from us. Um, also the BART parking lot. Um, one of the things I, I did want to ask in clarification, uh, the parking isn't so important to me. 
I think Castro Valley is very walkable and bikeable, and that should really be a, a big aspect of this focus. But I believe the plan, um, at least some of the outlines um, for this specific housing element, was talking about the conservation of some of the parking that um, for any of the development that is put in place in places like the BART. Um, but the one other thing I also wanted to ask, in addition to pointing out that one point that people always try to argue parking is being replaced is as part of this housing element, um, is there any mixed use that's part of this? Because I think the Norbridge development that's coming in is going to have both the mixed case business and housing. And I think it does require both to create a really vibrant neighborhood, but how much uh, open space and parks come into play? I know there's kind of a nice uh, pocket park next to the library. And I'm curious if areas like the BART would also be having something set aside for that type of community space uh, for the farmer's market or for uh, playgrounds, anything like that. So thanks again. Thank you very much. Do we have anyone? One more. Proctor Road, you have three minutes to speak. Please unmute yourself. Proctor Road, are you there? I apologize. I have nothing to say uh, or comment at this time. Thank you. And we have one more speaker, uh, Anne with Groveway Neighborhoods. Hi, it's Anne Maris, Dr. Maris here, um, living on Groveway. And uh, I've, I uh, have commented on this a lot, but I just thought, um, this is my local Mac, so I'd speak up again. Yes. Um, my concern is that on Grove Way, uh, you know, we had the former 238 project, so we have some open space here. And we're, because of that, and also just because of other uh, situations, we have a low income housing project going in at Grove and Foothill, one going in at Grove and Redwood, and then another one growing in right at the middle at the creek, which is the Save Ruby Meadow effort. And so we're being heavily impacted here in Southern Castor Valley with low income housing projects. And I saw that one of the uh, things is that, uh, so the county's gonna add other, you know, add infrastructure. And I just, I don't feel any guarantee of that when, um, you know, our open space is being destroyed. So um, I'm just curious what that added infrastructure will be. Um, we just lost our last school Kids now have to go about three miles um, up to Fairview to go to elementary school. And so we've just, we've just lost so much. Um, with the Save Ruby Meadow effort, I went through the entire Castro Valley uh, inventory of housing sites in the last housing element, element, drove around, looked at them to try and find other places to put this housing. And you know I saw a lot of the, uh, the problems and uh, saw that it really is hard to find places. So the Rite Aid site can really accommodate a lot of housing. That was one of our recommended sites. Another recommended site that I don't see in your map is on Oak Street. And so I'm kind of curious why when we already had apartments there that were torn down and when we're really lacking, 
you know, it's, that's, that's the street, Oak Street, uh, right up from Foothill where you see kids playing in trash and there's no sidewalks and no nothing for them. You know, why aren't we uh, considering that for some housing on Oak Street? And I know it's by the freeway, but we, we all live by the freeway here. So it's like, you know, solve, solve the problem of our living by the freeway. Don't, you know, not put housing there. Um, I have talked to the residents who live right there in the apartments by that on-ramp at Foothill. And, um, and they're happy with their home, even though it looks at the freeway. So um, I think Oak Street uh, needs some housing too. And uh, that's, that's it for my comments. Thank you. Thanks for your work. I know this is difficult. Thank you. Thank you. No more speakers uh, over Zoom. We have um, one person in the room, Peter Rosen. How about now? Can you hear me now? All right. It's not even Zoom, and I have to ask it. That's pretty funny. Um, so, a couple things. Uh, first off, um, I really appreciate Liz uh, showing the survey because it's the first chance I've had to actually comment in public about this. Um, so some of the specific things that I was going to say about some of the sites, I mean, some of the ideas, actually, I, I will say one, um, there's a, one of the trailer parks that is going to be converted to, um, multi-story housing with mixed use. There's an opportunity there to go higher. Um, that's an area that actually isn't a downtown has infrastructure that could support it. Why not build another level of it? Um, one of the things that I'm concerned about is similar to what Dr. Maris just said, that um, I'm a little worried about all of the housing being oriented towards low income. And I think that in order for it to be successful, it needs to have mixed housing within it, not just mixed use. Um, so for instance, um, if memory serves, the, the project happening on Castro Boulevard is market rate. So add some low income there, give them some incentive, maybe put in some needle, needed things like childcare things on the ground floor or retail space. Same thing with the with the Rite Aid or the or the um, additional one, the um, the Bard Station or even Trader Joe's. If there were some, you know, um, middle income housing, so that teachers could afford to live there because they won't qualify for any of this, I think that would be more effective for our community. Um, I think that's really helpful. Uh, I. I'm wondering how they're going to promote the survey. I think I'm hoping that it was in the forum or some other ways that it would come out because I didn't know about it. I want to point out that the arena numbers themselves, um, I think that they're a little skewed. Um, I want to point out that they're showing two point, uh, two point, almost two and a half times what the previous ones were, and yet our population has gone down in Alameda County. In fact, if you look at the census reports from between 2019 and 2022. We've gone down um, almost 2%. They haven't shown the newest, the latest census numbers. So I don't think this reflects that. In addition, there's other developments. Some of the Caltrans properties that are being developed, one of those is actually in the Castro Valley plan. And then to the speaker previous to Dr. Maris that was asking about uh, low income and um, some of the dense ones like at the BART lot and if there's gonna be parks and all those things. I don't think everyone knows this, but low income housing do not have to pay in lieu fees for parks and rec, they don't have to pay 
annually, they don't have any property taxes that they would pay that would go towards park and rec. So not only are they not required to set aside open space, they don't have to pay a percentage to go towards open space. And then annually, there is no maintenance towards open space. So if you would encourage a market rate within some of the low income housing, that will help pay for the amenities that all these people need. I mean, I've got some specific things, but there's a lot of opportunities here. And uh, Chuck, I'm missing you here. Thanks. Thank you, Peter. Do we have any other comments? Anyone wishes to speak? No, we will close public comment and uh, turn to the council. And since I was negligent in uh, remembering council member Moore, we'll start with him. Chuck, do you have anything you want to say or ask on this? Did you say me? I did. Oh, great. I just had a, a few comments and questions. Um, Surprise! This is two-party uh, or two-household income as a low income. I'm very concerned when I talk to the landlord in this particular county when they're having a tough time collecting rents and so on like that. Who are we going to get to build all of these units when the uh, current environment isn't really friendly to landlords and um, we're currently having situations where I know of um, seniors that have rental income that can't collect rents, and um, that was their livelihood. And um, and I, but I don't see anything in this uh, document here about how are we going to attract builders and who are they going to be these builders? I mean, who wants to build a an apartment building? And then can't collect rent on it um, unless our board of supervisors starts changing some of the guidelines and rules of, um, of people that live in units and don't pay. Um, and I'm not I'm not in any way um, insensitive to um, difficult situations, but um, you know I, I see more people exiting than entering, and I'm just very very concerned about these projections. And who we're going to get to build them because uh, uh, not many investors are going to invest in a property they lose money on. And building today is astronomically high. So, anyway, those are my comments. And I was a little concerned too about when I read a couple of other documents from East Bay Mud um, about rationing and, and water conservation. Well, will our infrastructure support this housing demand? Um, and, you know, I, I'm a little concerned about uh, power outages, about limited water, and all the other things. So, um, you know, th those are my th thoughts. Thank you for uh, listening. And Liz, great presentation. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. We'll start to my right this time with Council Member Thomas. Thank you, Chair. Can you hear me? Uh, just a quick thing. Uh, it sounds good. Uh, fair housing always sounds good, but uh, how do you, uh, is Liz, you still there? Yes. Okay. Um, how do you determine the price and uh, who sits down you know, two, year, two years from now? Two years from now, the pricing comes out. Who sits down and says, hey, this is a very long, low income. This is the price for them. And uh, this is moderate income. This is a price for the who who decides that who sits down to does it come back to us or uh, 
Who decides that? Uh, generally speaking, for low in, low income housing, generally the only way low income housing happens is if it's it's deed restricted and subsidized in some way, and and in that case, the the rent or the sales price is um, is set um, uh, as a requirement for for the. Um, the the subsidy the the deed restriction pays limits that limits the the rent or the the price otherwise it's it's um it's just the market um we don't dictate um you know how how much a unit will sell for uh, it's it's all just a, an estimate um you know when when we say we think this particular parcel will be developed with um, uh, units that would be affordable to uh, you know moderate income family. That's just an estimate based on what uh, uh, you know, say a, a particular type of unit is selling for in the community. So there's no um, guarantee that 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 particular parcel will. Uh, be developed uh, in a way that would be affordable to uh, a certain level of, of income. Okay, makes sense. So finally, it could come back to the builder, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We we don't dictate that. It's up to the builder, and it's how the development pencils out. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, I do have a couple questions or comments, perhaps. Um, uh, thinking about developing the BART parking lot, I very much appreciate all the efforts that we have going toward bikeability and um, public transit. Uh, we are enjoying a particularly low parking moment at the station, which has not been the case even just three years ago. So the idea of taking away some of that without mitigating it feels a little worrisome. Um, second, second comment is um, uh, uh, reflecting uh, Mr. Rosen's comments about um, mixed um, mixed income housing. It's a little concerning that the um, terms of the element would define low income housing through density. What that I think does is pushes for development of very high density, low income settings that um, I think uh, there's lots of thought in, in terms of urban design around how you don't want to um, sequester low income people with other low income people exclusively, and that you want those people to be much more integrated into the community at large. Uh, it helps everyone. Um, so that that's just um, concerns me that the math is maybe driving us toward zoning things with uh, low income uh, orientation. And the last thing I'll say is um, I'm really excited to see the affirmatively furthering fair housing component of the element. Um, I am uh, wondering if there are um, uh, thought leaders that you might be connecting into uh, versus just looking at um, 
previous examples of how uh, low income, uh, or sorry, about how housing has been developed. Uh, and the reason I ask that is, is say that is I think there are lots of great examples of us getting it very, very wrong here in the Bay Area. And um, it would be very helpful to have um, a sort of studied perspective from people who really think about this at the urban scale. Thank you, Ilya. Councilmember Padro. Thank you, Mr. Chair and Liz. Thank you so much for your presentation. Uh, I echo some of the comments that have already been made by other council members, but specific emphasis I'd like to make is also echo the fact that the bar parking lot is probably currently being unutilized for obvious reasons following the two or three year hiatus with COVID and its, uh, and its impact at large. Uh, I would say that we would really have to you know, explore that to some degree because I can envision uh, Wisteria Avenue adjacent to the large parking lot at this time is, is just densely uh, occupied with cars throughout the day. And even here at this site, here the library site, they've got signage indicating, you know, no parking, no park parking here. And I just envision as we encroach on the existing parking for part, depending upon how much of a percentage we reduce that, it just might uh, have other ramifications uh, on adjacent streets and other lots and other private parking. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Shannon? Yes, um, well, everything that council member Prokopov said, I think it's very concerning that we have very high density, only low income housing. I think it should be mixed affordability. Um, I think you need to incorporate everyone into the community and studies have shown that by focusing on high density, only low income um, uh, affordability, it, it really isolates and creates these pockets. So I think that that's a concern. Um, and then I guess uh, my question would be for the housing, is this, uh, for the housing element that we're addressing, it's only resident, residential or are we incorporating any mixed use? This would be for Liz, I guess. Um, is there any mixed use incorporated into these plans versus strictly residential? Uh, if, if you're looking for an answer uh, right now, um, yes, it, it we are uh, incorporating residential and, and mixed use. We're focused on identifying the potential capacity for residential units, but um, uh, especially in the, um, the, say the Castro Valley Boulevard area, the, the BART station area, um, we definitely would encourage mixed use development, um, not just residential um, development. And uh, there is a requirement in state law that for um, mixed use sites that that were in the previous element, we're required to allow 100% residential, not, not require 100% residential, but allow 100% residential development if, if the developer decides to, to do that. But um, the um, there would still be uh, plenty of opportunity for um, mixed use development um, throughout the, for example, the Castor Valley uh, Boulevard uh, corridor. Um, and, and in terms of the mixed income um, 
uh, comments, I, I want to stress that the, as I said, the state HCD uses density as a proxy. So they see uh, higher density housing as being uh, low income. We are we are allowed as a as a jurisdiction to count uh, the higher density um, housing as low income, but that doesn't necessarily that it mean that it would be low income housing. Um, and we anticipate it, it, it can be a mix of, of uh, densities, it can be a mix of income levels. And we anticipate that um, particularly at the BART station uh, parking lots, that those would be mixed income developments. It would not be strictly uh, low income. And then my last comment would just be, um... Peter Rosen mentioned, I just find it concerning that there's no um, requirement for any community space or any green space to go along with these high density projects. I think that that would be important to incorporate that as well. Thank you, that's it. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, so thanks, Liz, for that presentation. Um, I can I concur with all of my other council members on their comments and Ilya and, and Peter's comments as well. So um, without re repeating those, I have been involved in this. This is going to be the third time. This is the third time that um, I've kind of been through this exercise. First couple of times I had to learn. But what has made absolutely no sense is we aren't working from resources out. I don't understand how we can increase the density but not look at our schools, parks, grocery stores, and just the basic infrastructure of our communities, but yet we can overlay them with thousands and thousands of units. None of this makes any sense. If we were to look at each community separately, I mean, San Lorenzo, ours, Ashland, Churchill, all these places, every, every one of these areas has a different amount of resources. And so to be able to improve those areas to put more housing, we should be looking at can the schools and the capacity of the schools, where can this go? Um, and if we need to increase that space, we need to be looking at that space. We can't just keep dumping people on top of people. This makes absolutely no sense, period. And destroying the downtown, like Castor Valley has always been kind of a byproduct. It's always been a bedroom community. So it has way more housing than it does resources. We have a very little downtown. So should we overlay the entire downtown and put more housing on it? Absolutely not. I will fight it till the end. I get it that we're being forced to do these things, but what's required by the state does not mean that it is correct. And so I know, Liz, I feel bad that you're now in charge of this and leading this charge, but I, I really believe that um, everything that's been said here needs to be considered. And I know it's not gonna make any difference. We're just gonna continue um, projecting these numbers and we can't support anything. So that's all I have to say about it. Thank you, Ken. Yeah. I really love this council. Um, <laughs> truly, the, the different perspectives and yeah. the different ways of looking at things and the different strengths, yeah. um, it's awesome. And I, I would just add, uh, and I support what everybody has said and <laughs> resonate.
resonate strongly with what council member Moore brought to the table, which is, you know, having, having this artificially set demand by the state, you know, we're going to have this many units consumed in, in the Eden area. Um, I don't see or have any comfort in um, the supply side of that, which is the, the programs, the policies that will incent developers to risk their capital in Alameda County as opposed to Nevada or San Joaquin County or somewhere else. Um, arbitrarily dictating that we're gonna have this many units um, doesn't get us there. And I'm just not, uh, I'm not seeing um, the incentive to the supply side of that. And, yeah. and again, the infrastructure uh, the infrastructure questions are are incredible. Yeah, I just have one thing to say, and I'm yeah. not opposed to development, not opposed to housing, I'm not opposed to any of these things. But it's just the the way that they're going about mm -hmm. it. That's all, because we do need housing and we need all these Absolutely. things. It's just how is this actually brought to each of our communities, and how does how does it actually create a benefit? And not a you know. We need housing. That my we need housing. We need afford. housing. Absolutely. Yeah. No. No. Up still. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. All right. Anyway, thank you for uh, thank you for that, Ken. And with that, I'm I'm going to say uh, that's it for me. Yeah. And ask if uh, Liz, you have any thoughts or questions for us before we move on to the next item. Uh, I I don't think so. Uh, we will definitely take your your comments to heart and and do what we can to uh, address them in the the draft element um we will be looking at programs to try to to uh, provide incentives for developers to build here we we know it's uh it's difficult and and um i definitely um hear your comments and 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 understand um what you're saying so we'll We'll do our best to try to um, uh, reflect those in, in the draft that we come up with, and, and we'll be back to to talk to you again about that. I'm I'm sorry to, to play Columbo on you here, but um, how many units are currently in the pipeline? Uh, I I don't have that number. I'm sorry. I'll I, I can get that for you. Can you email it to me, please. Sure. We'll look forward to seeing you according to the schedule, I guess, next month. Okay. All right, we are on to item number three, which is an action item. And I see Mr. Rose. Good evening, council members. Aubrey Rose, planning department. Okay. <clears throat> Pardon me, thank you. This is case number PLN two zero two two zero zero one three three at five two. Pardon me, 5325 Proctor Road, proposal involving a variance to maintain 
a dwelling nonconformity, specifically for a setback for a home re renovation featuring partial demolitions, additions, and an ADU. Uh, more specifically, the home renovation would feature a front addition, partial rear demolition, upper story addition, demolition of a detached rear accessory structure, and construction of a detached rear accessory dwelling unit. The um, reason for the variance is uh, in order to maintain a non-conforming uh, right side yard setback dimension one foot and 11 inches, which is less than 50% of the required six foot um, width. And the uh, decision for variance is ultimately with the West County Board of Zoning Adjustments for this property. Uh, property owner, uh, Karina Arias is here, as is the applicant, Adolfo Martinez. Uh, he's in Castro Valley. General plan is um, hillside residential, zoning R1 single family residence with combining zones. Uh, projects exempt from CEQA as an existing facility and uh, for a variance. Here's the location on uh, south side of Proctor Road, east of Redwood Road, surrounded by single family homes. Go ahead and zoom in here. Uh, here's the, uh, the site. Uh, this is a approximately 950 square foot home that is on eight, uh, approximately 8,000 square foot lot. It's surrounded by single family homes. Here's the street view. Large tree that would be uh, preserved in the front yard. Uh, no sidewalks um, here on Proctor. You see, it's uh, flanked by uh, larger um, newer homes. Okay, so here's the uh, the site plan. So Okay, so um, this area would be uh, demolished. So uh, the uh, home, which is uh, not conforming for a uh, required right side yard setback would actually be uh, more conforming. Uh, the front uh, addition, um, which would uh, reorient the um, entrance as you'll see in a moment on the elevation would be conforming as would the upper story addition. So it's the uh, so the project will be, the home will be uh, more conforming um, as far as the existing structure and um, all additions in comparison to the uh, existing home. And then here's the uh, detached rear uh, accessory dwelling unit. You can see it's uh, 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 somewhat unusually shaped lot. So here is uh, on the right the existing floor plan, and on the left the um, proposed floor plan, the ground floor, the uh, additional bedrooms and bathrooms added at the ground floor. And so you can see that uh, this this notch would be.
created by a minor demolition unit. Some elevation. So here is the existing front elevation and uh, proposed. So you can see that the uh, with the um, proposed front addition, the uh, orientation of the uh, primary entrance would uh, be facing the street. front. There's the notch back here. Here's the remaining uh, non-conforming um, area. So conforming, so the uh, front addition set back as is the uh, upper story addition. And here's the detached. So in terms of development standards, um, all uh, existing and proposed um, uh, yards or required setbacks are um, Informing except for, uh, again, the um, right or the western yard, which would not be um, reduced. And, and none of the, uh, again, none of the addition would, would be in the, the setback. And in fact, um, part of the existing home would be removed out of the setback. And set um, setback uh, to 67 inches. Okay, so the R1 um, for this lot requires a six um, foot wide um, setback, left and right side, uh, under the zoning code where um, nonconformity uh, exceeds 50%. So in this case, the, um, the setback is uh, less than half of six feet. It's because it's uh, one foot 11 inches, which is uh, less than three feet. Any other, um, uh, it'll, uh, alterations or enlargements of the home require a variance. And so that's why this project is here. Here are the findings um, uh, to, in order to approve a variance from the planning code. I'm going to talk about those a little bit on the next slide. So a few considerations to, uh, um, to potentially approve this variance. Um, the uh, built conditions, so the, the home is um, Existing with nonconformity on an unusually shaped lot. Uh, again, no proposed reduction to setbacks. In fact, a, a portion of the setback would be improved to be conforming, as are as would be all additions. And uh, staff finds no negative impacts by the proposal to light air, privacy, or safety. And the project would result uh, in a home more similar to surrounding. Um, um, properties, homes, uh, in terms of uh, size, stories, and uh, even setbacks. So on the left and right side, both of those homes uh, not conforming for um, the right side yard as well. Uh, public notification one uh, correspondence was received uh, from neighbor that should have been provided to you. Issues raised were privacy and drainage. The applicant who's here tonight is available to speak. Uh, has since proposed um, screening um, the uh, upper story addition at the rear and, and the balcony with uh, trees along the rear lot line, as you can see. And uh, as required by the building code, would um, manage um, runoff. Would be other concern. 
Uh, so in conclusion, staff recommends that the Castro Valley Municipal Advisory Council recommend approval of a variance to the West County Board of Zoning Adjustments substantially renovated non-conforming new home. Including that includes staff's presentation available to answer any questions you may have. And again, the uh, uh, both the applicant and the property owner are here as well. Thank you, Audrey. Um, do we have anyone on? Let's open it up for public comment on, on this item. Do we have one person? No, we have no one in the room. I don't know well, we do. Please. Do we have anyone online that wishes to speak? No? Uh, Adolfo. Adolfo Martinez, please. Can you hear me? Yes. Basically, when we started with this project was uh, doing the, the addition and thinking in to make the ADU in the back. But we found when we made the survey, uh, we are not conforming with the setback and we started the process to uh, get the approval from planning department. And, uh, and finish our uh, building submitter to get the permits for this project. Is that we did? Thank you. Okay. Yeah. No, right. I'm. Yeah, I'm ready to make some comments on this. So. Sure. Yeah. Um, we'll close public comment at this point. And Ask, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, this is kind of, you know, this being a legal non-conforming. So first, Aubrey, thank you for your presentation and the simplicity that you broke it down. Like, you know, it was very easy to understand. I think it helps a lot for the council to be able to see things the way that you presented them. So thank you for that. Um, this, you know, those two properties, I looked at that and, you know, they're just an existing non-conforming house and they're here by kind of accidental default because of that property line and the rest of this wouldn't even be we wouldn't even be here if it was not for that right this is this is just a, a formality more than it is anything i think um and we had that letter and they've already addressed the sight line issue with the okay so in this case i mean for me i you know, I'm I'm well in support of this. This is um, something that really shouldn't be here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, I have this one comment, and that is the western uh, side of this particular project at one foot of the of the. Uh, Setback. Uh, I just want to make certain that there are no windows on this second story addition that look westerly 
And the reason I mentioned that is because of the letter that was submitted by Elliot and Rachel Well, uh, mentioning that they are the adjacent property westerly. And uh, quite naturally, with the height uh, and, and the lack of setback on that western boundary, if there were any windows allowed now or in the future on that addition, it would encroach significantly on the privacy of that property. That is all. Otherwise, I'm in favor of this, particularly because of the, the, the odd configuration of the property, and, and, but it's already been mentioned. Thank you. So if I may, um, the um, uh, additions uh, would not have windows facing towards the west, although respectfully, the, the concerned uh, neighbors were um, on the southern side. Exactly. Uh, uh, they're to the south, so the so to, the con to answer your question, there'd be no windows on the west side, which is here. But uh, Well, maybe in the elevations. Looks like there's anything there. Existing windows would remain. I'm just looking for the um, balcony. Uh, oh yeah, so there would be. So so right here in what looks like a a, a tower. There would be um, uh, doors and a, a window that is facing the south. Say it again, please. Uh, this. I'm having trouble finding the cursor, but well, if I you can, can see, see in the. the right. <laughs> there we go. So, uh, yeah, six. Yeah, so. Uh, number six, uh, the new uh, south elevation. Shows the uh, the pop up would have windows facing what's uh, in the southerly direction. And that you said that was addressed with landscaping, correct? That's that's what's what's since been proposed. So, okay. Yeah. So that. Yeah. That that's correct. I'm talking so, about the, the westerly side. Well, look at number three, and I think that answers your question now. Number three. Number three on. Um, Page A one hundred five. It's on. It's towards the last page. But on this, the big one. So, and then that shows the different elevations. And so there's ground floor windows on the west side. Everything above it, there's no windows on the second story. Um, You're talking about number four. Yeah, number four is what you asked for, right? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And what I'm asking is that 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 the proposed second second level. Yeah, have no windows on the west side. Yeah, that, a, and that is correct. There's none existing now. I'm just saying in the future. None, none proposed for the additions facing facing the west side. Yeah. That is correct. Thank you. Thank you. Nothing particularly to add other than that. I'm very glad that you're keeping the tree. Um, it seems quite close to the house. If you've not talked to an arborist, I might suggest that you do. But otherwise, I think this is a nice uh, renovation of this property. Uh, thank you. Um, 
So the, the letter from the neighbor, I'm looking at the proposed balcony. Is there a way you can show that proposed balcony? Yeah, so that would be right here. And that would give them the clear shot to the neighbors or is there gonna be trees up there too? Well, the, uh, so uh, the uh, council could uh, condition the trees that have been suggested to remedy that. Okay. Okay, thank you. And if I name Mr. Chair, making certain that those trees that are incurred at the time of construction be full grown as opposed to little saplings that won't be before until the beneficiary date. Thank you. Thank you. Um, agree with what, what has been said. I, I, I support this project. It, it's been uh, it's been living the way it is for quite a while, and I don't see any. Um, I'm going to stop there and, and uh, bring online Chuck Moore, Council Member Moore, please. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, just a couple quick questions. The lot next door to it on that same side, uh, what's the setback on that particular hill? On the, uh, the homes on I, either side have a, a non-conforming right. On either side. Yeah, same as the existing, I mean, the, the uh, subject lot. Are those six foot? Uh, I don't know that six foot is required without checking their lot width, but that is probably true and they are um, deficient for that. Mm -hmm. Is the uh, shape of this lot uh, creating a, um, a hardship on the, on out here that others don't have in the neighborhood? Well, the, uh, I suppose you could say that because it is unusually shaped and with the um, built conditions, uh, in other words, the house that being existing uh, where it is with the- uh, Right, I, but when I look at the pictures, it looks like all the lots are relatively similar in size and design and stuff. And usually when you grant variance is because a particular lot is, um, is created a hardship that this particular or property owner would have that others wouldn't in the neighborhood. So I'm a little concerned of why we would grant a variance on something like that. Sure, so in, in order to uh, improve the livability so that of uh, this property, so that's equal to the surrounding properties, it, the variance is required uh, unless um, uh, greater demolition occurs to the, the existing home. Right, but once again, I go back to the reasons for variances are usually because um, a hardship is created by the lot size or design or something that others, um, that is stopping him or her from enjoying what others have. Um, but these lots look very similar to in size and, um, and we're asking, to give somebody less than two foot separation between their property line on one side of their property when um, the others in the neighborhood are, appear to be much larger than that. 
So um, I, you know, I, I understand very, but I'm just a little concerned hey, that Chuck. why would we create something like this? Hey, Chuck, this is Ken. Chuck, can you hear me? No? Can you hear you? Yeah. Can, can you hear me? Okay. Just, just I mean, let me just, I, I think that the part that you're kind of missing, that house is older than the, all the properties around it. It was there before the other houses and the lots were subdivided. They didn't add on to this house that this is an existing non-conforming at this point um, setback. That house has been there before the others looked like they were even built. So it's not kind of what you're saying. I just want to just point that out to you that you may not have realized that, or because we can see this, I was looking at that. And um, so it's not a matter of granting them anything to tear that house down, which was probably there prior to. Just, I'm just saying, that's just uh, kind of the way I was looking at it. Okay, thank you. I got it. Thanks, Chuck. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate the fact that the area of, or the amount of non-conformance has actually been reduced. Um, and that what's non-conforming left is what, 29 square feet, something like that. Um, that's, that's not much. And uh, share the comments about, or the feelings about uh, in the, the potential loss of privacy for the neighbor. I think the solution offered was was perfect, uh, and I think the rest of it looks looks very good. So I'm I'm supportive. That being said, I would accept the motion. I'll make the motion to approve PLN 2022 001133. Second. We have any discussion. Okay. All in favor? Aye. 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 Member Moore, your vote, please. Chuck, did you hear the motion, Chuck? Yeah, I heard the motion. Um, usually, Rodrigo says, how do I vote? I vote you. Uh, yes, I. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, any opposed? Congratulations, I think we're there. Yeah. Okay. All right. The library needs us uh, finished up by nine o'clock. So I'm going to say the chair has no comments at this point. Uh, does anyone on the council have an announcement or comment? Councilor Padro. Sure. Thank you very much. I give you back to an earlier uh, matter having to do with Crocker, uh, Crocker Road, paving, et cetera. Uh, I, I think that we'd like to officially ask the CHP to increase their presence on that road. Uh, it, was, it was mentioned that there's been a few citations issued once they were tickled three or four successive times. And in as much as we're talking about safety of children and pedestrians in general and traffic in general, if we can ask for the CHP uh, more thorough or more ever present presence on that road to help mitigate that uh, issue until such time as public works is able to move forward. Uh, I would really, I think that we would offer the community uh, a better service. Agreed. Agreed. I'll in reach the, out to- uh, In the past, CHP has 
presented to the map. And every time I've brought up the Redwood Road and Proctor area and the speeding and the danger. Um, it's been a while since they present, presented, but it is an issue. I live right there. Um, my kids went to Proctor and it's continuously an issue. So it would be nice to address it again with public works and city issues. And the city. Just well, I have a brief comment. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, um, speaking of speed limits, Crow Canyon is a 25 mile an hour zone in some of the areas. I think people have to see up and they're going 52. Um, it would be, uh, I would like to see if we can get people to slow down out here also before somebody gets on this construction zone. Um, yeah, so anyway. Thank you. And by the way, I wanted to see what it would be like for the community. Um, the sound cuts in and out frequently. Some of the guest speakers, when they're speaking, or the public, you don't get all of what they're saying. And um, so it, you know, it, it's it's probably going to be the best we have. But um, from a standpoint of Zoom and watching the meeting. Um, you 99% of it was very good. 1% of it we need to work on. Chuck, are you saying that people from the podium um, are Pardon me? in and out? Yes, they're in and out. And the one um, speaker, I didn't hear one word that the speaker um, uh, was comment on and on the public portion. We can work on that. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, just a couple of comments. Um, the sidewalks, um, like the people who called in regarding Proctor Road, the sidewalks need to be clearly marked. And once we lost Atlanta Carlos on a uh, Manta Road, that added the that added the uh, beacon lights. Be is that what you call it? Beacon lights or uh, beacon lights? Yeah. But it's, it's it really works. So uh, they need to clearly mark the sidewalks and uh, add lights. So you know, we won't have these accidents will happen again. And the Thank second you. thing is, uh, I talked about PG&E last time, the gas price, right. and uh, we need to have a wrap up here because there's more and more complaints coming through. People are reducing their temperature to 68 mm -hmm. and 66. Still, uh, the the PG&E uh, gas price is high and uh, it's double. So we need to do something about it. That community, we are the we are representing the community, so we need to do something about it. Yeah, it's it's happening. Anybody else? Staff? Uh, do we have any staff comments, thoughts? Yes, thank you. So um, we're going to work on the on the mics. Uh, we may need to switch out the mics from the podium to one of the better ones. You guys have the higher technology ones. I was just told that these are the mics we can get for the podium and staff, but we'll we'll figure out the, the mic situation. Uh, also, uh, just let the public know at home, uh, those that may still be watching this, this is uh, the, the last hybrid meeting from now on, uh, the MAC members must be in attendance or must be in a public space that the public can can also access. Uh, and uh, we will continue in person as well as online meetings. We will, we will uh, continue the hybrid format for the public, but just so that everybody knows that the, the members themselves would need to be in this room or in a publicly accessible uh, room that that has been 
noticed uh, where that location is. So, so that everybody knows from, from starting in March, there will be no more masks required, no more social distancing, uh, and we'll be back to pre-COVID situations. So I have one question for you, Rodrigo, real quick. Um, is it okay for us to bring our laptops or can we get laptops? I mean, um, being on hybrid or being you know, at home, the ability to use the computers and kind of look through some of these right. documents, it's actually easier for us. So we need to get, I was just. Yeah, uh, we, we just discussed it when, when uh, uh, the members, I overheard the members yeah. uh, discussing it with staff, with a plan director earlier. I, we've been exchanging emails with staff trying to make sure that we can coordinate that for you. Okay, perfect. Okay, thanks. Right, so that was part of the solution that we were discussing is is what what is the the best uh, most cost, cost effective way to do the two. Yeah. That's about, about twenty minutes of our time. If you have a laptop, <laughs> you have a laptop. You can yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Like All right. So our next meeting uh, next meeting is March thirteenth. Yes. No, yes, March 13th. Yes. Are we Tony, do you have anything for the good of the order? No, I don't. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right. I think we are adjourned. Thanks, everybody. Good night. Thank you.